Well, good morning again. Howdy. If you have a Bible, open it up to chapter 46 of the Psalms, Psalm 46 today. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to grab one, there should be one nearby. If you look down under the chairs, there's some black Bibles there, and we'll be on page 471 on those, 471. Psalm 46, we're continuing our series in the Psalms called Collide, and what we're being challenged by is how our daily reality of our emotions and the ups and downs of that comes into collision with the truth of God and His Word. And it's modeled for us in the Psalms. So the Psalms give us this great picture of what it looks, to have a, looks like to have a, a, like a private prayer life with God, you know, your secret prayer closet time. Uh, it also gives us a picture of just living in community with other Christians, uh, being honest about our emotions, looking at God's Word together. And then, of course, it gives us a picture of, of corporate worship, as it is the corporate worship book of the Old Testament people of God. So they pour out their heart to God, sing to Him, remind themselves of God's Word. So we keep coming back to it again and again, learning new things uh, about the ups and downs of, of our emotion and our fears and how those come into collision with God. And, and this morning, we're going to call it fortress as we look at the idea that God is really the only security that we can run to. And so as I read the text, what I want you to be thinking about is when things feel topsy-turvy in your world, what's the fortress that you run to, right? When you start to feel like things are out of control, we're going to see words in the text like the earth giving way, right? When things are getting crazy, where do you run? What do you go to uh, to make you feel secure, to make you feel like things are okay? And, And that would be your fortress, The scripture is going to challenge us that God is the only real fortress. Those other fortresses might work for a little while, but he's the only one that can't be shaken. So let's read the text together. It says, this is to the choir master, the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. So again, we know this is a a corporate worship song for us here. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold, the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let me pray. God, we ask that you would teach us this morning. We ask that you would be our fortress. God, you see into our hearts and you know the things that we run to. You know the things that we struggle with. And we pray that you would help us to see that, help us to turn, help us to to run to you. God, I pray that you would also help us to see that you're worth running to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you uh, have ever had a, a case in life where you had to stand against the crowd? Like, right, maybe your friends were going the wrong way or they were 
Maybe they were picking on somebody, or maybe they were doing something you just didn't think was right, and you had to stand against them, even though you might have lost that security of those friendships. Have you ever had that happen? Some of you have been in that, that kind of case. Uh, maybe you've been through this at work. Maybe you've had to stand not just against friends, but you've had to stand up against a boss, maybe. Uh, but again, there was that threat that you might lose the security of, of that job, right? You're worried, man, what, what's going to happen here? I might lose the security that I already have. Uh, maybe you've even been in a position where, where your physical security was threatened and you had to do something that, that might mean the loss of your, your very life. I mean, there are a lot of soldiers here that have been in harm's way and you, you know what it's like to actually have your life at risk. Um, a lot of us don't even know what, what that's like. Martin Luther was a figure during the Reformation who stood against the, the powers that were in charge at the time. Uh, there was kind of some corruption in uh, the main church at the time, and they were sending out preachers that were basically selling tickets to heaven. Like They called this indulgences. They would say, if, if you buy this, then you can get your loved ones out of purgatory, or you can get your loved ones into heaven, or you can maybe get into heaven if, if you buy these tickets to help us build a new cathedral or help us to build this new thing. And Luther said, you know what, that's not really how the Bible paints salvation. And so he pushed back against that, even though at that time in the medieval world, that could literally mean the cost of his own life. That could mean not just losing the security of, oh, these people are going to be mad at me, or, oh, I might lose my job, but the security of his, of his own life. And so he was risking uh, the fortress, the security of life and job and happiness and peace to stand against these things. And what, what Martin Luther was able to do was to, to do that at the risk of his own life because he trusted that God was his real fortress. He trusted that God was his real security. And so he was able to risk everything else and live with reckless abandon because he, he thought, God is truly my fortress Luther was famous for unpacking uh, the salvation that we have in Jesus by faith, by trusting in him. And he was famous for unpacking that out of the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, these New Testament books that make it really explicit. And so that's what he's famous for. He's famous for writing commentaries and preaching on those books. But a lot of people don't realize that uh, another very, very important part of the scriptures to him was the Psalms. And reading the Psalms and studying the Psalms and then also reading these other books like Romans in Galatians, he started to see, hey, they're, they're saying the same thing. They're saying that I can't save myself, but only God can save me. And Psalm 46 about God being our fortress was his favorite psalm. And so we just sang today this famous hymn that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is a famous hymn that Martin Luther wrote. He wrote it in German. We've translated it into English. Um, but it's a famous hymn he wrote to remember this. And you know the main reason he wrote it? It wasn't for us to sing 500 years later. He wrote it for himself. I mean, the main reason that Luther wrote that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is to remind himself so he wouldn't freak out, right? Like people wanted to kill him. And at times he felt like he was losing his mind. He's famous for being a little bit nutty, right? And so he learned to preach the gospel back to himself, to sing it back to himself, to remind himself that God is my security. He is my fortress. He is the place I can run to. And so he wrote this hymn that really is a hymn that kind of talks about the whole Bible's theology of God being our Savior, and he just kind of uses as a springboard this, this psalm, Psalm 46, God is our fortress. He kind of springboards off of that, and 
it's not really just a translation of the psalm, but it's just a psalm or it's just a hymn about the ideas of this psalm that God is the one we can run to. He's our security. When you feel like everything else is falling apart, he's our security. And so what I want to do is I want to help you see that as the truth here in Psalm 46 so that you can pray this, so that you can sing this, so that you can say this back to yourself. The way that Luther was able to do that with the hymn that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Because things, gonna, things go crazy for all of us, right? I mean, we all have these like everything's upside down, everything's going wrong. We all walk through those times of life. And so we, like Luther, need that fortress to run through or to run to. The, the first thing that I think we see in the text is that seeing God as our fortress, we recognize that he's the fortress that can't be shaken, right? So we all have fortresses that we run to, right? There are things that we go to to make right the shakiness of our world, but what the scriptures challenge us with is those things are eventually going to fall apart, right? And so like getting drunk every weekend might work for a while, but after a while, that's going to go bad for you, right? Uh, Or just think of anything else you run to. Think of something good, right? I mean, just being committed to the next promotion and job security, that, that might work for a while, right? But if it begins to be the only thing that you run to for safety and security, it's going to run out. Someday you're going to lose your job. Someday things are going to go bad at work. And so the scriptures say whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, whatever it is that you're running to, to be your fortress, eventually it's going to be shaken. But God can't be shaken. God is the one fortress that cannot be shaken. So so look at verse 1 in Psalm 46. He says, God is our refuge, another word for fortress, and our strength, another word for fortress, a very present help in trouble. So he's saying he's here. Not only is he the, the distant God, the other God, the perfect God that's separated from us, but he's close. And that's really the picture that the temple is supposed to paint for the Old, uh, Old Testament people of God is, is God coming down close and, and being in communion with his people. So he's present. He's there for us. The, the Hebrews understood this, and we, we believe that this is most clearly seen in Jesus coming for us. He's here for us. Emmanuel, God with us, is what that means. So verse 2, he says, therefore, we will not fear. So since God is our fortress, since he's our strength, since he's with us, he's our present help, we're not going to fear. We're not going to be afraid. We will not fear. Can we say that? Any of you ever just not ever, ever, ever afraid? It's hard to say, right? Don't raise your hand. People would look at you weird if you said that. None of us can really say that. None of us can really say, I I will not ever fear. But that's the hope that we have in the gospel. That's the hope that we have in God, the unshakable fortresses. I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Then we have this sea law, which we've told you before in the Psalms is kind of like a musical term or like a, you know, something like rock on or pause or, you know, we're not sure really what it is, but it kind of breaks up the Psalm for us, right? So we have three of those. So we've got three kind of sections in this Psalm. And he's saying, if everything else falls apart, like if the earth fades away, if the mountains fall into the sea, if the rivers are all going crazy, God can't be shaken. He's the fortress that we can, we can count on him. He can be relied on. So that's what I, I really want you to see is that's the, that's the one thing that everything else is crazy, I can trust God. Everything else looks crooked in my world, God's going to be straight and true and reliable. And that's, that's really the appeal of the scriptures. So Old Testament, New Testament, the whole thing is that God's the one that we can count on. 
Everything else, we might, like I said, we might be able to count on it for a while. You know, a good job, you can count on it for a while. A good relationship, you can count on that for a little while. But, but these things eventually crumble and shake, and God's the one that's going to be there for us ultimately. He's the one that helps us to endure when the things around us shake so that we can become those kinds of people that endure, Right? So the job, things are crazy at work. Well, if, you, if you're trusting in God who's unshakable, then you can become that kind of unshakable person where you work for the benefit of others. Your relationships, things are weird, things are shaky. Well, yeah, we're all messed up. So relationships are going to be hard. But if you're trusting in God as your fortress, then you can become that fortress within that relationship. You can bring stability into that place where there's not stability. So we have this picture from the text. It's it's kind of reminding us back of, of the creation account in Genesis, you know, talking about the world and the mountains and the seas, and we're reminded of the beginning of Genesis before God started to create and order everything. It says that there was, uh, that the world was formless and void, and Hebrews kind of think about water especially as, as kind of a symbol of chaos and scariness and death, and so he's calling up those images that in their culture would have been images of just things going nuts. And what I want you to think about in, in your world, what does that look like for things to go nuts, right? So you probably haven't lived through an actual uh, maybe volcano or earthquake, right? You may not have lived through this literally where physically you felt like everything was falling out from underneath you, but we've all gone there in our life, right? Like cancer or divorce or depression or losing that job or uh, addiction. We've all been there where, man, the, the floor dropped out from me, Right? So the question from the text is, what's the fortress that you run to when that happens? What's the fortress that you run to and say, this is going to do it, this is going to fix me, this is going to pull me out of this mess? When I was thinking about the picture that's painted here, everything topsy-turvy, everything crazy, I was remembering an experience I went to at an amusement park. It was this, this house you could go into called Casa Magnetica. Have you all ever heard of this, Casa Magnetica? Okay. Uh, I think they tore it down. It was at Six Flags when I was a kid, and you would go into this room and everything was like at the wrong angle. Um, I had an old historic home, and it was kind of built that way too. But this was extreme, okay? It was extremely off kilter. I have a picture. I found one online. And here's some folks standing inside there. So you see the broom like standing this way, and you see people leaning over. It's hard to capture in a picture because really what's weird is being there, and like the room's crooked, and you feel, you know, know, your eyes are seeing something different than what your body is feeling. It's not not ordered. It's not straight. It's not reliable. Everything's crazy, and they do little special effects like rolling a ball uphill, you know, things that like just don't work right because of all the angles being so strange. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of paint that picture for you because I think we've all been in a place in life where nothing seems straight. You know, the stuff you've been relying on, you can't rely on it anymore. Um, one of the ways that God does this in our life often is, is through us coming to the end of our own strengths, right? Because often one of the fortresses that we rely on is our own strength, like what we're good at. And so God says, all right, well, that might work for you for a little while, but you're going to have to learn to no longer trust in your flesh, right? This is this Bible term that's used again and again that's a, a contrast with trusting God is trusting our flesh. Um, and it doesn't like mean skin, right? But it, it just means generally trusting myself, and so I, I come to the end of my own strength. So I, like my gifts, I'm, you know, one of the reasons I enjoy ministry and pastoring is I'm a pretty good problem solver, you know, so I like to like study the Bible and try to explain it and stuff. And I'm 
pretty good at just loving people. I enjoy people. I like to make people feel good. And, um, but, you know, there's, God lets me be in positions where that just doesn't work, you know, where I have to actually rely on him and not my own strengths and my own gifts. We, he lets us be in those uncomfortable places where we come to an end of ourself and we feel like we're in this topsy-turvy place where, wait, what's always worked isn't working, Right? My, my gifts aren't working. My skills aren't working. I always go back to that toolbox and pull this out, and it solves the problem, but it's not solving it. I've hit a dead end. And I want to challenge you that that place, that dead end that you run into, that's, that's the place to recognize that God's the real fortress. He's the one that can actually uh, be a place of hope and a place of safety for you. And I want to challenge you, a lot of the times when, when we're doing stuff we shouldn't be doing, it's because we're not recognizing that God is really our fortress. It's because we're running to some other place of shelter, refuge, fortress, and we're inflating that into a God instead of the true God of the universe. That's when we start breaking commandments. That's when we start doing stupid stuff, right? That's when we start cutting corners and not living the way God's asked us to live because we're trying to work some other system. And he said, that other system isn't going to work. And we do this with good things and bad things, right? I said earlier, right? Like for some of you, your fortress might be an addiction to something that everybody knows is bad, but you can't shake it. For others of you, it's more hidden because you're addicted to something good, right? Status, prestige, hard work, being accepted, being everybody's friend. But the scripture says that no matter what it is that you're finding refuge in, whether it's a good thing socially or a bad thing socially, no matter what your society says about it, if it's not God himself, it's the wrong fortress and it's going to crumble eventually. The world's going to give way. It's going to totter and he's the only one that you can rely on. Uh, sociologists talk about this, this phrase called a plausibility structure. And it's the idea that we have these underlying assumptions about what's true, and we never really doubt them, right? We never really question them. And that, that kind of allows or disallows us to really take God at his word. And so what this is, I think, is an exercise in us questioning our current plausibility structure, our this-is-the-way-the-world-works paradigm framework in our head what are you convinced of that this is the way the world works and are you willing to question that are you willing to question that and think maybe maybe god is the way the world works maybe i need to listen to what he has said consider what he's written in the scriptures and consider the grace that he's offered to me in jesus think about it think about what the What's the foundation that you're trying to lay? What's the stability that you're trying to build? How are you trying to right your world when things get crazy? What's the tool you keep reaching for in your toolbox, right? You keep going to that and you're like, this is going to fix it. This is going to make everything better. I can numb myself with this or I can fix people with this or I can order things around me by doing this. And the scriptures say, let go and trust him. Trust him doesn't mean we never use our gifts anymore. It doesn't mean when I came to the end of my own skills and gifts, trusting in my flesh, I said, oh, God doesn't want me to solve problems or help people anymore. I'm done with that now. No, it means I can't trust on that to be my salvation. I have to trust him and then use my gifts and my skills, the tools he's put in my toolbox, as a way to point people back to him. And that's what he wants of all of us. No matter what your skills are, no matter what fortresses you're running to, he wants you to recognize that those are those little fortresses, those little you know, baby fortresses that you're building, they might be nice, they might help some other people, but ultimately we need to point people to the real fortress, to God himself, to trusting in him, relying on what he said, how he's revealed himself here in the text and in the scriptures. The next thing I want you to see is that 
the fortress gives life. It's a life-giving fortress. It's a life-giving fortress. Um, And this is a beautiful picture. He gives us an analogy here that he paints in the text that gives us a great contrast to make sense of Jesus always picking on religious people in the New Testament. So like if you've read the Gospels, you see Jesus always coming into collision with religious people. Jesus never liked religious people. He was always pushing back against them. He's always challenging them because they really thought that they could save themselves by their religiosity. And he was like, no, you can't. You've got to trust God. You've got to love God. You've got to love other people. And true spirituality, the gospel, looks like life bubbling up from within you. That's what it looks like. And so Jesus was always challenging people in the New Testament. And this gives us a great Old Testament picture of of that reality. If you look at verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So here again, the reminder, and he said it several ways over these verses, God's with us. God's in the midst. God's there. God's with us. He's our fortress. He's the one we can rely on, right? He's just repeating this. He's trying to hammer it into our head that we can trust him, and he's going to be there for us. He's the God that's come to where we are. We don't work our way up to where he is. He comes down to us. And one of the beautiful pictures is this river that flows out of the city of God. And here in this picture, it's this war language, right, of the other kingdoms uh, being crushed and there being safety in the actual physical refuge of Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem was a real fortress, They did have a water supply there. So he's using that language of you can trust God and he's painting the picture with the real fortress that they would go to for survival there uh, in in this place. But God always takes that physical reality of this fortress and of this temple where God would talk to his people and reveal his will to them. He uses that as a picture throughout the scripture to say there's a a better reality. This is God in the midst of us but there's going to be a God really, really in the midst of us, right? I mean, that's the promise throughout the scriptures that I will be with you and I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the, that's the promise throughout the Bible again and again. And he says that's going to be fulfilled someday in a bigger, fuller, more real way that we look forward to. And so this image of the river of life flowing from within is picked up again and again throughout scripture. If you like uh, cross-references, you could just write down a couple that might be fun to study this week. Ezekiel 47 is a good one, and Zechariah 14. Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah uh, 14 give that picture of the river of life flowing from within the temple. In both of those places, uh, the people are in exile. They've been kicked out of the city. The city's, the fortress failed. The physical fortress got torn down. That fortress of Jerusalem, it didn't work anymore, but God's painting this future picture and saying, the real fortress is coming. The real fortress is coming, and the water is going to flow out of the temple. He gives this picture of this river just flowing out of the temple. It's picked up in Revelation 22, the end of the story, and he says, in the end, flowing rivers of life are going to flow out of the temple. And one of these places, he talks about it overflowing into the Dead Sea. You know the Dead Sea, why it's called the Dead Sea? Because everything's dead, right? (laughs) It's full of salt. It's It's dead. There's too much salt. Stuff can't live in it. But in this vision, the, the 
the living waters flow out of the temple where God comes to earth, right? That's what the temple is. The temple is where God meets humanity on earth. That's where God comes to earth and living water is flowing out of it and it overflows into the Dead Sea and it brings life wherever it goes. That's the vision. Kind of reminds you of somebody we know in the New Testament, right? He says, I'm the temple. I am God come to earth. And if you trust me, rivers of living water are going to flow from within you. Jesus says it like that in John chapter 7, verse 37. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's a really peculiar thing that Jesus says there because he says, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. But that is not a direct quote. That's not a verse from the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting the whole Old Testament. He's quoting all of it. He's saying, what the Old Testament was about was if you come to God, rivers of life will flow from within you. That's what he's quoting. He's quoting all these different texts, mashing them all together, saying, it's always pointed to that. It's always pointed in that direction that if you come to me with your thirst, rivers of living water will flow from within you. One of the projects that we work on when we go to Guatemala is a water project. They've been working on that. Uh, We helped a little bit, and it's something that that they have ownership of, and they're doing most of the work bringing fresh water into the mountainside in Chavoque, where these native people work that we live with a lot. Um, Water is just a key need wherever you go. I've got a picture there of a fresh well. Um, You know, if you've ever been on some other mission trips, it's a common thing that folks do when we go into a third world country that has limited resources. One of the key things that people need is water, right? You can't live without water. So that's the image that God gives us again and again. And he says, you can't live without me. You can't live. You're going to dry up. But if you come to me, rivers of living water will flow from within you. So he gives us this beautiful picture again of the temple, a river of life making the city glad, flowing from within it. And like I said, that picture's picked up in the prophets later. It's picked up in Revelation. We understand that it has its full fruit in Jesus who said, I am the temple. I am the way that people meet God here on earth. Instead of just hanging out in heaven, Philippians tells us he left and he came down to be with us. And he served us and he died for us. He took our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. And so this helps us to see, even back in the Old Testament, the difference between religion and the gospel. Like I said, Jesus is always hammering away at that in the New Testament with the religious leaders. He's saying if, if you're keeping religious rules just to impress other people and show how good you are, but you don't really love God and you don't really love other people, well, that's not really life. That's not really life. We have to fall in love with God and see Him as our only refuge and our only fortress. And when we do that, when we run to Him, then life starts flowing out from within us. A good test of that is in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Does your devotion religiously make you a hard person, a difficult person, or does it make you a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control? Paul says that's the fruit of the Spirit living within you. That's you as the temple with the river of life flowing from within you, right? New Testament says God's people are to be his temple. We are to be the manifestation of God here on earth. Just as Jesus is the true temple When he comes within us, when we trust in him, then we are to be life-giving people. And we should overflow from the inside out. 
we should give life to other people. And that's the question. Are, are we those kind of people? Are we life-giving? Are we overflowing? Are we hard people? Are we the kind of people that people are like, oh, I don't want to be around them. I want to go the other direction. Um, the gospel is, is different from religion. It's not the same thing. It's, it's life-giving from the inside out. It's not us taking life and making it for ourselves. But it's God giving us life through Jesus. The last thing I want you to see, the last section is that you must respond to the Lord. The Lord is the fortress. He is the temple. He is the source of these rivers of life. And he challenges us to respond. At the end of the chapter here, if you start in verse 8, he says, come. It's a command. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Uh, this is the projection of power, right? Isn't that how we say it at Fort Hood, I think? Power projection. This is ultimate power, right? More than any other, any other army. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the repeat again of that chorus. That's the theme. He's repeating it again. Got the Selah there at the end. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, that phrase, the Lord of hosts, um, is a translation of really the Lord of armies or the Lord of like teeming masses of warriors. Uh, and so we see it as both the Lord of God's people, right? And so they would have used this as a battle song if they were actually defending the real physical fortress of Jerusalem. But also the picture is always painted of the Lord and his heavenly armies, right? The armies of heaven, angel forces, the idea is of ultimate power projection, that God cannot be stopped, God cannot be shaken, nothing can defeat him. Don't fight against God. You really have two options, and that's be crushed as a part of the evil, or uh, repent and trust him and see him as a fortress and as a place of safety, and be loved and adopted into his family. So it comes to this really politically incorrect statement here. Sorry, it's, I know it's not, very, it's not culturally appropriate, right? But he's saying he will crush all evil. He will defeat all enemies. There's no power that can stand against him. So we have a choice to see him as an enemy or to see him as a place of safety. And that's, that's the choice that's painted for us here. To be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, he says. Be still means what it sounds like, right? It's like give up. Stop fighting. Stop railing against him. Stop trying all these other fortresses, but see him as the real fortress. See him as the one that can really save you. See him as the one you can really trust. In the, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, it gives this great picture of the faith of all the Old Testament people, and it keeps saying they live by faith, they live by faith, they live by faith. It's a theme throughout Hebrews 11. And in it, it says that Abraham had this faith that there was this future city he was looking forward to, a city that had foundations a perfect city, right? So we live in a great city, right, Colleen? But there's an even better city to come, right? We can hope, that was a joke, you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> we, can, we can hope in this even better city, even better than, than Colleen, even better than Fort Hood. There's a better city, a perfect city whose foundations can't be shaken. Remember he was talking at the beginning of the psalm about the earth giving way and the mountains falling in the sea and everything being shaken, but his kingdom cannot be shaken, 
So Abraham had this faith in this city that couldn't be shaken, this future fortress where everything would be sound. And the author of Hebrews picks that back up in Hebrews 12. And we'll just end here. He picks it back up in Hebrews 12, and he is talking about the giving of the law in Exodus. When the law was given, the Ten Commandments came down to Moses, it freaked everybody out. It was like thunder and lightning and storm and darkness and fire. And the people basically told Moses, uh, we don't want God to talk to us anymore. Just talk to you, and then you can tell us what he said, okay? Because it was so horrifying. It was so scary. And so the author to the Hebrews picks this up, and he says, at that time, when he talked to the people in the Old Testament, his voice shook the earth. He shook the earth. But now he's promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And he says this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, the world we know now, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So there's a future shaking that's coming that's going to shake everything. And only what is permanent and lasting, only what has true foundations will remain. So he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And if you've read the letter of the Hebrews, acceptable worship is clinging to the hope that we have in Jesus. He's really the only worship. He's really the only temple. He's really the only way to bring us into the presence of God. Because he loves us. He gave himself for us to save us, to pay for our sin, to give us his righteousness, to bring us into the presence of God. So our only response to knowing that everything's going to be shaken is trusting in that kingdom that cannot be shaken and that fortress that is our ultimate safety. Let me pray for us and we're going to respond with a final song from Psalm 46. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you offer to us adoption and love and being a part of your family. God, I pray that we would see how beautiful and how glorious you are. This, this psalm paints a, a scary picture of how powerful you are and how no enemy can stand against you and your armies. But it also reminds us again and again that you're a, you're a shelter that we can run to that you're in the midst of us, that you're close. Not only are you far away in your perfection, but you're close. And you painted that picture most beautifully for us in Jesus. He came from heaven to earth to die in our place and to give us his very own life, to rise from the dead, to guarantee it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.